0: This morning I want to, in a way, uh, recognize this time of year, the uh, solstice being two days away, and in a way uh, honor the solstice and talk about how our practice is a practice of uh, both going into the dark and going into into the light. And that this time of year is actually a very, I think, a very special time to explore both of those qualities. That's what I want to explore this morning. And I'm thinking to continue the theme next time. So today I may focus a little bit more on the dark because we're entering, we're still getting darker. And next time I'll focus a little more on the light. But there will be light inside the dark and dark inside the light, just like that. Yin Yang symbol that you know that's actually on our, all of our computers these days. Isn't that interesting? The, those, the people who have the people who uh, have had a lot to do with the software for all our computers they came out of the 1960s, and they were <laughs> a lot. Probably a lot of them are meditators. That's 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 not the topic of my talk this morning, but it's interesting, isn't it? You know, there's 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 Things are shifting in, in unknown ways. So this is a very um, this is a very special time for me. Probably, probably 20 of the last 30 years, I've done a retreat at um, around the time of the solstice, New Year's, uh, moving into the new year, and it's a wonderful time to to in a sense uh, stop to go more deeply to reflect, to invite uh, new beginnings. And that's the really some of the, the beauty of this time. Uh, a solstice literally means the sun standing still. So we have the winter solstice, we have the summer solstice, in which the sun, in a sense, of course it doesn't stand still, literally, but it's seen as standing still, a kind of transition time between the moving into the dark period and the moving into the light period, and of course, it's it's um, cross culturally. It's this time of some of the most powerful holidays, of the uh, really the honoring and welcoming of the light. Uh, so powerful that it's probably the most I don't know one of the most central holidays in Christian tradition is Christmas. It's so powerful that from what I understand from scholarly sources, Jesus was actually born in April. But there was some kind of competition going on with the pagans. And so they, they switched. That, that's what I understand. But it's... it's a, and, and the same sort of thing where Hanukkah is a minor holiday among Jews, but it gets elevated to compete with the Christians who switch their holiday to, con, to compete with the pagans. So it's all this... So my talk will not be about competitive spirituality, <laughs> but it's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting. And so it's, uh, it's a time when, in a way, the earth and the seasons are inviting us to rest, to come to some stillness, and our culture is urging us to go into a frenzy, some of us may find ourselves in that frenzy, the frenzy of shopping and so forth. There's a lot of paradoxes here. A lot of, And so it's... Uh, I think the seasons really invite us to, uh, to go more deeply into the darkness and to invite that light. And I wanted, so I want to talk really about uh, three things. I want to talk about what it means to go into the dark and connect that with our practice, what it means to invite the light, to let the light come through, the relationship of the uh, darkness and the light. And then I'd like to give some specific practices that we might do in the next week or ten days or two weeks, very simple practices that might enhance that sense of going into the dark and light. And I'll try to talk actually not too long today, have some time for discussion, and then I'd like to actually end... The, uh, our time together, maybe the last 10 minutes, with a very brief ritual that will help us actually go into the, both the dark and the light in a way that might um, enhance this next period of time and, and, and support the talk. So that's my intention uh, for, for this next hour. So there are several qualities that are connected with going into the dark, and we actually develop them in our practice all the time, just like we develop the qualities of going into the light. I mean, it's very interesting that when we, when we practice, when we come here together and meditate in the, the tradition that we represent, we typically close our eyes. We deliberately go into the dark in order to what? Invite more light. <laughs> We go into the dark, we close our eyes, we stop, we come to stillness. And we do so in order to come to see more clearly. Very interesting. You know, in a lot of the ancient Greek mythology, those who are blind often see more clearly than those who are awake. It's interesting. And I noticed my, my father in the last... Uh, 25 years of his life or so, and some of you know him because he used to come to this group. He was blind. He was legally blind, and there are many ways in which, when he could not see physically, there was something that got awakened inside. You now, maybe more care or compassion, or some very beautiful inner qualities that can come from from being um, in the darkness, from not having that uh, not having that same Maybe typical her habitual way of being. So, there, there are ways in which I want to talk about the one, the, really the aspects of going into the darkness in terms of first, a kind of maybe I think uh, four qualities. The first is uh, stopping, coming to stillness. The second is going into the unknown. The third is uh, going into difficulty. And the fourth is the darkness as something uh, fertile that sort of invites the new. Much like nature is, the the darkness of nature is fertile. There's things are actually, we don't see what's happening, but actually a lot lot is being planned. (laughs) You know, all those, the ground looks quiet and nothing's happening, but they are actively doing their planning work, getting ready for the spring. So there's a way in which when we uh, come into this period of darkness, we are really invited to stop. We're invited to sometimes stop this, what has sometimes been a frenzy or or busyness. And I I know I'm very grateful that my extended family has agreed not to give gifts during this time. It really changes the quality of my experience. I think for the better. And we give gifts to anyone who is 18 or younger, who are somewhat rela- somewhat around that age, could be a little bit above, but wants gifts. <laughs> 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 and so, there, but there's a way in which it really helps with this time of really coming to some quiet and some stillness. And it's something that, you know, for many people, there may be a week off of work, uh, starting, could be now or could be starting the 23rd or 24th. There's something very precious about coming to some stopping and stillness. It's really one of the principles of our practice that we need to, in a sense, come to a stopping and come to some quality of stillness, sometimes physical stillness, in order to see. And again, there are a lot of wonderful paradoxes that we, we go into the dark in order to see. In a way, we stop in order to be able to move again with with more wisdom. So there, there, there are these wonderful uh, paradoxes of the dark and the light uh, that, that I think we'll see when we look more clearly, that we'll know in a dark way as we see more clearly. So you can see there can be some play with the language, with the dark and the light. So we, we stop. I was thinking of the old... Um, um, the old song "Stop in the Name of Love." <laughs> do you remember that? <laughs> remember that song? There's a lot of wisdom there. <laughs> That's what we're doing when we meditate. We're stopping in the name of love, <laughs> and and we're but we're coming to that stopping, the stillness, uh, the 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 letting of the old habits wind down somewhat. That's what we do when we meditate. That's what we do when we do retreats. We let the habits wind down. We know that in a sense we need to have some stopping or stillness because otherwise the momentum of our minds and our experience just basically distracts us. And we sometimes don't know what's most important. And I know for me, uh, especially when I've been working a lot, these quiet times around this time of year, have been just so precious to kind of remind me of what's most important. Again, that's what we do uh, maybe daily in our sitting practice, but we can do that... Uh, at this time of year, and I really urge us to to take some time for reflection, some for some quiet. Some people I know are, are intending to do self-retreats, even just for a few days, to, to, to take advantage of this time. There's a, a Zen teacher named Huang Po. He says this. He, say, he basically says that to go into what's deepest in our lives, we need that silence and stopping. He says, there is only testimony of silence. This is Huang Po, Chinese Zen master. There is only testimony of silence. It goes beyond thinking. Therefore, it is said that the Dharma cuts off the passage to words and puts an end to all form of mental activities. It's a kind of a radical stopping. There's a famous story in which the Buddha is uh, actually... Engaged with a, actually a serial killer named Anguli Mala. Some of you know this story, who becomes actually becomes a great, uh, a great uh, meditator, and ultimately becomes uh, fully enlightened. So it's a very actually interestingly a different attitude towards murderers that they really actually do have potential. You know, there are actually quite a few stories in the Buddhist tradition of people who actually killed people, sometimes quite a few people, who were able to transform that energy and redeem themselves and actually become wonderful, good, helpful citizens, so to speak. And so uh, the Buddha is with Angulimala, and Angulimala is actually trying to make the Buddha his thousandth victim then he's going to retire. He's killed 999 people. And he says, I will get the Buddha for my thousandth. And Anguli Mala, uh, Mala, you know, is the, like a necklace. So he has a necklace of fingers that he's cut off from his victims that he wears around. So he has this necklace of like 999 fingers. And he's going to try to make the Buddha the thousandth. I'm sorry if this is a little grizzly. <laughs> <laughs> And he tries to, he runs after the Buddha, and the Buddha is walking at a normal pace. But Angulimala is running and running and running, and he can't catch up with him. And he says to the Buddha, stop. And the Buddha says, I have stopped. Now it is time for you to stop. And that's the beginning of the end of his serial killer career, and he actually shifts. But it's that, that sense of, of stopping is what we come to. It's really at the core of the practice, the stopping of the old habits, the coming towards greater stillness. And it's something that, again, is invited, I think, by the, by the season, by the times. A second aspect of, of the darkness is that of the unknown, And again, when we go into our daily practice, as well as when we take a few more days for reflection, there's a way in which we're really inviting the unknown to manifest, that we in a way take refuge in the unknown. It's really actually a deep aspect of our practice. Sometimes we sit and we actually take refuge more in the known. We want to come to this level of relaxation or peace that we knew from yesterday and there's a more radical way of practicing, which says, I don't know what's going to happen. I sit here for 30 minutes, and my task is just to be attentive. In a way, it's to listen. It's not to try to produce anything. It's just to really open. And there's a way in which, when we're in the dark, we learn how to open to what's unknown or what's mysterious. And it's a beautiful quality at these times. It's, in a sense, it's a trust that there's something wonderful that wants to emerge that our deeper nature has these amazing qualities which if we only would uh, listen and in a sense get out of the way and stop and listen and be, have some trust that they will emerge. And that's really one of the basic uh, guiding principles of Dharma practice, of meditation practice, that we in a sense take refuge in the, in the unknown or the mysterious uh, and there's a kind of uh, opening to the mystery. It's a, it's a beautiful way to practice that we can actually invite what's mysterious to be near, to, to, to have that sense of, this is a unique moment and I can just open to it. It's a wonderful way to live our lives. And part of what we do in our practice is we see how that's hard. We see how we sit and we want this to happen. Or we see, as we were looking at in some of the earlier questions, how we might have tendencies to control You know, I know that that one of the early insights of my own practice was how much I tried to structure or control experience. I would sit there and I would just notice, oh my gosh, you know, and it was a little bit humbling and a little bit embarrassing because I thought I was kind of more, in my mind, I thought I'm more advanced than that. I'm just sitting here trying to control experience. But it's, uh, that was, you know, my self-images were, that's my problem. (laughs) <laughs> but, but, uh, but it's a way that we, we learn how to respect the mysterious. And sometimes when I'm on retreat or sometimes when I'm sitting, I just start the practice by saying, I start the period by saying, I fully, um, I have no idea what's going to happen and I want to open to whatever's happening. and whatever. Basically, I think the, the words that really help for me is I say, whatever will happen is okay. That seems to open up a door. Whatever will happen is okay, meaning that i don 't need you know if i 'm really agitated or busy, then my mind's going to be more busy and I try to just open to that uh, it 's really a trust in in the mystery of what 's going to emerge, and that 's a quality which we can connect with this this quiet time just it can be a kind of listening, a kind of being being with the earth there 's another way in which when we're with what 's dark we are with the darkness in a way that signifies difficulty or can signify sometimes how we're entrapped by unconscious material you know how we're you know and i think often in our culture we use the word you know that's a dark time to mean something difficult or challenging or painful and i think we often lose the the really the the powerful or the beautiful qualities of the darkness i think that i imagine that that's connected with racism in some ways but it's really there's a way i think in which we don't really always acknowledge the 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 you know the positive aspects of darkness and the, you know the, the the wonders of stopping and being still and the mysterious and so forth and that last element i'll come to in a moment the, the way in which the darkness can be fertile and can be a source of generativity and creativity but but but, but clearly, there's a way in which darkness does also signify difficulty, um, that there's a way in which um, when we we can say, "I go into the dark and I go sometimes into what's painful for me," and part of our practice, in fact, a very important part of our practice is to be able to go into difficulties with more compassion and more awareness, and part of you know sometimes for. For this um, solstice time, we may be needing to go into that into darkness in that sense, going into darkness as difficulty to be with what 's challenging to be with suffering as we are at the end of our sittings when we talk together, part of what we talk about is the the pain that we know in our lives, whether it 's our own or that of people close to us and uh, one of the most valuable parts of our practice is this growing ability, it's sometimes said, to be comfortable with being uncomfortable, to be more relaxed with being tight, <laughs> you know, to, to, be, to not to suffer when they're suffering. <laughs> so again, I, I love the paradoxical language, which to me makes a little smile and makes me, when I'm saying this, makes me feel a little bit mischievous. Which I like, <laughs> so, and I'm sure many of you will like it as well. And when you're playing like that, it's it's a kind of play with language. Which, but I think it's there in the darkness and the light. They play darkness and light really play with each other. You know, I think maybe next time I I brought in. I don't think I'm going to read it today. I have a, a wonderful uh, myth from the Northwest Native peoples called Raven Steals the Light. I brought in a book, and it's. It, it <clears throat> is about the playfulness connected with light and dark, but I think I may do that next time. I don't know if that's called skillful advertising for next time. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, so we learn how to be with what's unpleasant, you know, as with <clears throat> Karina's question. We learn how to be with some discomfort in the body. We also learn how to be skillful so that we can stay balanced with what's unpleasant you know, so that we can learn from it, so that we can really learn that um, <clears throat> it's one of the big learnings in this practice, that, <clears throat> that there's a way in which pain is a given in our lives but suffering is kind of the reaction to the, to the unpleasant or the pain. <clears throat> and, and suffering is taken to be optional or to be something that we can actually transform. That, that teaching that we often come to on these Wednesdays, the teaching of the two arrows, the fact that we all are shot by a first arrow of pain. This is one of the, to me, one of the most powerful teachings of the Buddha. There's a first arrow of pain, which we all get, we all get shot by an arrow of pain. I'm sorry to tell you this, <laughs> it's true. There's To be a human being means that we're vulnerable to pain of different kinds, whether it's physical pain, injury, illness, emotional pain, the pain of being treated unfairly or unjustly. That's a given. But the Buddha says what distinguishes a practitioner is that the practitioner, because of the first arrow, does not do what the person who is... Unskilled or untrained does that untrained person shoots a second arrow because of the first arrow, in other words, reacts to the pain with tension, or reacts to emotional pain by uh, shooting a second arrow at another person. That would be called blaming. You know that I, I basically I tense and I react around the unpleasant, and I do that when I again I have something I mention a lot is that doctors say that 80% of what we experience as pain is actually not the original stimulus, but it's the reaction, the tensing around the stimulus. And that's the second arrow. Or when someone says something really mean to me, and I react back immediately with something mean, that's shooting the second arrow. Or when in a conflict someone inflicts pain on me or my side, and I get so incensed that I want to inflict pain on the other person's side, the basis for most wars, that's the second arrow. And the Buddha says that we don't need to shoot the second arrow. The first arrow is a given. We don't need to shoot the second arrow, but we need to learn how to be with the unpleasant, with the pain, with the difficulty, in a way which doesn't shoot the second arrow. And so that's a big part of our training. And we could think of this third aspect of going into the darkness as learning how to not shoot the second arrow, how to be skillful with what 's difficult, how to be able to open to it, to be able to be present with it, and to be wise to be wise with what's difficult, and the last aspect I want to mention about the darkness is is this sense of the darkness as fertile, as generative, as leading to uh, leading to learning in a sense leading to the light. This is really the way that the darkness in a sense can lead to the light. And there's this, this beautiful story which I've, I've told once or twice here that I learned from Rachel Naomi Remen of this young man who was in his 20s who had his... Um, basically, he had cancer and he had to have his leg amputated. This is in her book. Uh, the story is told in her book, Kitchen Table Wisdom. Some of you know it's a beautiful book. And this young man worked with... Uh, Rachel Naomi Raman, who's a physician who, has, who works at the uh, Commonweal Institute in Bolinas, not so far from here. And he worked over, I think, about a, at least a year, a year and a half with her. And near the beginning of the time, she asked him to make a drawing of his being. And he made, he made a drawing that showed a, a vase, or a vase, what was his name? Either one? Vase? Either one. I haven't said I haven't said that word for a long time, so I <laughs> forgot. <laughs> uh, he made he made a drawing. Of, what was it, vase? Yes. vase. <laughs> 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 I, think, I think both. Okay. Okay. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for the thank you for the consultation. <laughs> tomato, tomato. <laughs> okay. And so he made a he made a picture of of the vase that was showed. Um he basically sh- the vase was basically cracked. It was uh it was it was in black and it was it just was as if it, there were just cracks everywhere and it was highly it was all dark and imperfect. And as he um he worked over the months uh the work really tr- started to shift in him and he started First of all, he had to open up to his anger. He had, you can imagine, tremendous anger. He had been an athlete, and he had lost he lost his legs. So he had to, in a sense, open to difficulty, open to that sense of darkness. And as he did that, something started to shift in him. Of course, he had a tremendously supportive environment that was really with some very skilled, uh, wonderful people. And as he started to um, open to that anger, the bitterness started to shift. He started to open to some more positive qualities. He started to, to be um, actually interested in working some with people who were in similar situations. He actually, around the clinic, he became someone who actually started to be able to um, help people who were caught in despair because of a loss and started to be able to work with them. Eventually, he Well, one of the people he worked with was a young woman in her 20s who had lost both her breasts. She had a family where there was endemic breast cancer, and she had lost both her breasts and was just devastated, you could imagine. And he eventually, he worked with her and they eventually got married. And um, towards the end of the time, when he had really um, shifted quite a bit, he... um, I think was near the finishing time, and Rachel Naomi Remen asked him to look at the original drawing. And he looked at it, and he said, mm, that is not complete. It was that picture of the vase with cracks. And he drew, took a, a yellow crayon, and he started to draw um, kind of beams coming into the vase and coming out of the vase. And he says that was not complete because it's th- through the holes that the light comes. It's through the holes that the light comes, in the vase or in our own... It's Another way to say it: it is through the wounds that the healing comes. It's that notion of the wounded healer, which we hear a lot. And so this is, a, this is one of the sense uh, in which we could say the darkness is fertile. It's fertile in the sense that going into difficulties can yield tremendous light or tremendous um, learning, just as another sense of the uh, darkness is that the earth is fertile or that being with the unknown can be tremendously generative of the light and the light starts to come in. So I wanted to just mention a few more things about the light and and then open things up to everyone. Let me just read. There's a beautiful poem by Rilke. Let me just say, which is partly about this, uh, this willingness to be with the darkness. He says, you darkness in whom I am, am born, I love you more than the flame that limits the world. To the circle it illumines and exclude all the rest. But the dark embraces everything. Shapes and shadows, creatures in me, people, nations, just as they are. It lets me imagine a great presence stirring beside me. I believe in the night. And so I think we see the ways that, in a sense, uh, going into the darkness can help us open to the light. And It's really the, the sense of what we might do in this time of the solstice that when we go into the period of, let's say, the unknown, we, in a sense, we listen for what wants to emerge. We listen for something new. This beautiful quality of stopping and listening and being with the unknown or the mysterious, it allows something new to emerge. And I know for myself, it's often been the case that something new will not emerge if I'm too busy. Something new will not emerge if I'm always involved with things, where my mind is preoccupied, that I sometimes need this uh, slowing down in order to actually even let something uh, come out that wants to come out. And I know in a critical time in my life, about eight or nine years ago, I felt like I had been working really, really hard, and I needed to stop. And I actually uh, planned pretty well. I had about 13 months where I didn't have to work so much. And I arranged with the work that I was doing to um, just work uh, five days a month. I worked hard on those five days. <laughs> and then I think of the 13 months, I had four months in which I didn't work at all. And I just basically opened the space, and I had been working hard, and I knew that something wanted to come out. Some I, would, I knew there wanted to be some deepening in my own being. Intellectually, I kind of knew what would what would happen, that I would express more of a commitment to spiritual practice to that part of myself, to deepening those qualities, and and also to connecting that spiritual practice with um, responding to the needs of the world. But I needed to stop. I really needed to stop in that way. And some of it was scary, because I let (coughs) go of most of my structures in my life. Uh, I had been Co-editing a journal. I stopped that. I had been on a board or two. I stopped that. I stopped almost all of my teaching. I did almost nothing. It's a privilege to be able to do that. Not everyone can do that at all. But it, and so it was scary sometimes, because you know when you, one lets go of structures, you know it's like, "Who am I? You know Who is this? <laughs> Who am I?" <laughs> you know, letting go of the structures. But something I, I can know in retrospect that that space. And the time was totally necessary for something newer and deeper to come out. Without that, it wouldn't have happened. You know, and we, we can do that in big ways like that. We can do it in small ways. I know, that, I know that that's true of many of the people whose lives I've studied who've inspired me, that they've had these periods where they had to open up a space to let something deeper come out. You know, to, in other words, to have the opening to the unknown, the stopping... Really let that darkness have its fertile aspect to come up with something that's new, that moves us into the light and so forth. I can't resist. There's one other poem I want to read, which is from the... Uh, let's see. It's from the... Uh, it's from the, the Cree. The Cree native peoples who live up in Minnesota and uh, southern Canada... This is about the relationship between the dark and the light. All the warm nights, sleep in moonlight, keep letting it go into you. Do this all your life. Do this, and you will shine outward in old age. The more, the moon will think that you are the moon. <laughs> so it's that sense of you, let the darkness seep into you, embrace the darkness, and then the light comes out, and you become like the moon. All the warm nights sleep in moonlight. Keep letting it go into you. Do this all your life. Do this and you will shine outward in old age. The moon will think that you are the moon. <laughs> so maybe I'll, I'll just close by mentioning a few practices that we might do in this, uh, in this period of time that can really help us with uh, this, this slowing down, this uh, going into the dark, this inviting the light this process and really using the time. So one, of course, is actually just uh, creating some time and space as much as is possible in which we do slow down. Really consciously choosing some time in this period in which we slow down, in which we don't do so many things, uh, in which we uh, we invite nothing. That great, wonderful invitation to nothing. Write a, write a holiday card to nothing. <coughs> Invite nothing to come and play with you. Uh, also being, I think, with the natural world is can be really important because the natural world can teach us some of what we're exploring now. It can teach us about the stillness, about the darkness. Uh, one of my colleagues uh, at Spirit Rock, uh, Deborah Chamberlain Taylor, says that on the solstice, she actually really loves to go sit and meditate and just sit out in the dark on the night of the solstice. Sit outside for an hour and just be with the darkness. You know, it's, a, it's a wonderful, inspiring idea. I'm going to actually encourage that. I'm actually teaching a retreat starting this evening on the solstice and on the dark and the light. So I'm getting geared up this morning. Uh, so being it also could mean being to invite something that's unknown in your life and just invite yourself to be with the unknown. It's like to... to it might be to sit for an afternoon with some very deep question that you have about... It could be about your next step or about something that you want to, to move to. And really making, again, making some time and space for that. It could mean to um, be in your meditation... And say, I will open to the unknown in this sitting. Or could mean that you take a day and you focus on the unknown and you say, I will meet each moment as if it's the unknown. And I will watch my tendencies to want to control or want to uh, think that I know what's happening. To really uh, invite the mysterious for a day, for a morning, and just really focus there. Say, It's kind of to tune in. Can you get a sense, even right now, just to tune in and say, can you tune in to the mysterious aspect of this moment, just this moment right here? Hasn't happened before. We don't know what's going to happen. Gavin Newsom might walk in the back door. We don't know. It's possible. I won't wait too long (laughs) for that. Um, And we can also, maybe the last thing to say, is we can also be with difficulties and with a different perspective. That if there's some difficulty or challenge in your life, you can be with it in that spirit of opening, of watching if we shoot the second arrow, and of having some sense that whatever is difficult is also potentially Opening, ups, opening us up to new learning. And so can we have a, diffi- a different relationship to what's difficult? That would also be in the spirit of this solstice time. So I think I'll end with one of my favorite poems, which is also about darkness and light. And I, I read it, uh, I like to read it here, so I've read it a few times, but some of you haven't heard it. This is uh, one of my favorite darkness and light poems by Pablo Neruda. If each day falls inside each night, there exists a well where clarity is imprisoned. We need to sit on the rim of the well of darkness and fish for fallen light with patience. If each day falls inside each night, there exists a well where clarity is imprisoned. We need to sit on the rim of the well of darkness and fish for fallen light with patience. So, that is our invitation for this uh, for this time of the year. So, thank you. We have a little bit of time for any questions or reflections. Yeah, please. What was it that you say to yourself before you sit? something like, um, "Whatever happens is okay." That actually goes the deepest. I can say, "Let me open to the mysterious." I can say, uh, "I don't know what's going to happen," but actually, what goes, what what resonates with me is, "Whatever happens is okay," because it kind of gets me at the place where I sometimes want to control things, right? Whatever happens is okay. It kind of lets me open to it. Yeah. Thanks. Please. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to ask you about stillness. Yeah. Just so I'm... Um, <clears throat> for stillness, I'm, I'm sort of assuming that there's, there's no activity. It's just... But <clears throat> you're mentioning... You've mentioned that you know, you gain clarity and wisdom through stillness. Yeah. So that, in a way, sort of a implies activity in some sort. Mm-hmm. You're, you're you're active mm-hmm. in some manner. So can you can you clarify that? Sure. So it's a nice question. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's interesting that um, in a way, in a way, what we're doing here when we come is that we're engaging in training, and so we. We can't. We can't. We stop. We come to stillness as we get more and more mature. In a sense, we carry that stillness around with any activity, just like the kind of the stillness in the middle of the hurricane, or the still. You know, we can have tremendous activity and still have a quality of stillness. That's in in Buddhist training. That, that would be linked with equanimity, It's the ability to be balanced and, and, in a sense, have an inner stillness, even if things are raging around us. And so, that, that this training, we, we work with a physical stillness that helps to develop more of a mental, emotional stillness. We do, we do use some techniques that help us to get in that direction. So, that is a kind of activity. So, we don't, if we could just completely move to stillness, then we wouldn't need those kind of techniques. But for most of us, we need, it's like we can't go 100% to stillness. So, But we can go some of the way there just by, by not moving our bodies. Is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, please. I was wondering how you can accept your dark periods without getting consumed by them. How you kind yeah. of find a of balance. Because a lot of times, like in a dark period, people tend to distract themselves. And I know I do that to feel happier. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering how you find a balance between. Accepting and fighting. Yeah. Does everyone hear the question? Mm -hmm. Basically, how do we, how do we, how do we uh, live? How do we um, stay, work with our dark periods? And I think you're probably primarily meaning difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. um, Difficult periods without getting consumed or lost, consumed by or lost Mm -hmm. in them. Um, It's a great question. Maybe I can say some things. I think we have a lot of experience in this room also. <laughs> that, can, that can actually give up. I'm, I'm sure if we collected the stories and the wisdom from this room, we probably have a, at least a regional bestseller. <laughs> 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 um. Let's see. So um, part, of it is, part of it can be helped by our practice. Because what we do when we practice is that we, we kind of build up resources. <clears throat> a lot of what happens in the more difficult times is that we... Um, and the reason we can feel overwhelmed or lost is that we don't have resources that can help us respond to them. It's one kind of language to use. And so we can see our sitting practice and, in general, a lot of what we do just in non-difficult times as a building up of resources which we can then use in our difficult times. So, for example, I can, in, I can do a lot of meditation. It builds the uh, factor of mindfulness. Mindfulness in the difficult times is going to be really, really crucial because we can start to know, okay, here's my mind going down that route. I know where that goes. When we have mindfulness, we can notice it closer to the beginning and then we can say, I'm not going to go there. You know, if we're feeling, I don't know, feeling really bad and we are prone to act out in some way, let's say. You know, when we have mindfulness, we don't do that as much So, because we notice. And so it's, um, it's also really a training that we, uh, we, when we, you know, when we do something like meditation and then we bring it out into our lives and... Not don 't just focus on our experience in our meditations, but also look okay i 'm having a moderate level difficulty what 's my mind doing? How am I you know and, we, and when we 're in the middle of that, we can sit and we can study and we can work with it and so in a sense, what we do when we sit here is that act, one perspective is that we really we, get, we basically it 's like uh, it 's a little bit like earthquake preparedness <laughs> we We get ready for the big one. <laughs> For the bigger ones, you know, by actually by training. So that training means a few things. It means developing in certain qualities like mindfulness, like compassion, like wisdom, that can really help us when things are difficult. We also, I think, uh, we may develop a larger community of friends who are going to be also really really crucial when it's difficult because they'll have some, they'll have if they're not in the middle of a difficulty, they'll might have a lot of wisdom that they can give us at that moment. So community is going to be really important, too, and friendship. But we develop individual qualities. And then also, as we train, we actually work with minor or moderate level difficulties. And so basically, we get, we get some clearer sense. So I sit with um, my mind being really agitated because of what happened at work yesterday. Okay, And that's not something which is maybe going to overwhelm me. But I can work with it in a skillful way. I can see, oh, here's the tendency. here's what my mind does when it's like that. Here's what it and here's what I can do right now with this smaller thing. Or I work with a knee pain, or I work basically when I was talking about the tendency not to shoot the second arrow, we train for that by working with small first arrows and seeing how we work with them. Most of us when we get enormous first arrow we would shoot the second arrow. That's what you're talking about as being overwhelmed or getting lost in it. And so what we do is we train by seeing how we tend to shoot the second arrow with smaller first arrows, if you're, you're getting my, my metaphor. And so it's really, that's, that's a way to look at it. And then, uh, basically we get better at being with um, with the difficulties. And there's actually, we actually focus some on this in in we did a series of four talks on the theme of working with difficult thoughts and emotions, which are, I think should be available on the Dharma Seed website, or at least um, you know under under my name because there we did a series of working with that that could be could be useful. But is that is that a good start? Yeah, I just have one more question. Okay. Is that, so, is distra- are distractions a bad thing? Necessarily? Like when? Yeah, not no, necessarily. No, no, let's say you're feeling down and-
1: You know, go shopping.
0: Go shopping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, or make on the way to shopping, make make a side visit to the refrigerator. come. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, I think I'd like to distinguish between distraction and shifting the energy, okay. because sometimes I think, uh, and I think I think sometimes distractions can be skillful. Generally, if we can find an alternative in which we keep some consciousness, that's better. <laughs> that's impossible with shopping. <laughs> I, well, of course, the, I deliberately exaggerated for the sake of humor with that. But, but, um, but I don't know anyone who can be conscious with shopping. Anyway, that's another story. <laughs> um, but, but sometimes when things are really uh, hard or overwhelming, it actually is really skillful to just get out of that place. And I think that's what was kind of behind your question. That can be re- That's really skillful. If we have the ability to be mindful of what's difficult, that's great. You know, be mindful, kind of hang out with it, stay with it. That is really good. We don't always have that ability. Sometimes things are too much. We feel overwhelmed or lost. Mm-hmm. And then it's really good to get out of there. could be to get out of the house it could be to shift the energy, uh, you know. Ideally, something that shifts it so that we actually can have some insight and some ability to respond better is the best. But you know, um, so going to the friends, going to friends, or you know, sometimes just reinforcing what's what's good, even if it has nothing to do with the problem, can be great. So just going, being in nature, you know, doing exercise, taking a walk, all those things are, are great. Being with friends. And as a last resort, shopping. shopping. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, well, that's a, it, a great question. And we, would uh, it actually, in those kind of situations, is where we find some of the, the greatest fruits of this practice, of you know, really being with the difficult stuff. You know, as as a lot of people were mentioning at the end of the sitting, that was all difficult, not all of it, but. A lot of it was difficult stuff and just the naming of it here is one way to work with it. We name it, we bring it out into the present and it gives a certain balance so it, it doesn't stay so subterranean. Well, I want to do just a little ritual uh, to close. You up for that? Okay, just to close. And it's going to involve uh, just, be just maybe a little less than 10 minutes. So what I'd like to do first of all uh, we'll, so be, make yourself comfortable so you can sit or be present for about ten minutes. If you need to um, stand up for a moment, feel free. And I'm going I'm to blow out the candles. We're going to go into the darkness, and then we're going to come out into the light. Okay, yeah, why don't you... That's a good idea. Okay, Okay, so let's sit back down. Yeah, let's turn the lights off. So we're going to first... It would be more dramatic if it was night. (laughs) So we'll have to simulate night. So I will do that in this way. (laughs) So. It didn't go. Ready? Are these candles. are these these <laughs> candles? <laughs> okay. okay. Okay, so close your eyes and let yourself, as it were, go into the darkness. Just be present for a few minutes with the darkness in any of the senses that we explored. The darkness as just the stopping and stilling, as entering into the unknown, as being with difficulties or, or the, the fertile. These are really interrelated. The fertile or generative quality of the darkness. In particular, if there may be some difficulty or something old that you want to Um, reflect on and maybe even see if you can uh, let that go that might be one way of being with the dark so let's just have a few minutes of being with the darkness in any of those senses and see what comes to you And as we continue to stay in the darkness I'd like to invite Elizabeth to come and light the candles again. And as she does this just staying with your eyes closed see if there's something which wants to emerge in you coming out of the darkness could be something new is there a new quality that wants to come out of your being to emerge into the light is there a quality that that wants to get stronger is there some new part of your life that wants to emerge And just sitting again with the light inside and then in a moment we'll, we'll open our eyes but for now just letting the light come from the inside out of the darkness when you're ready, letting your eyes open while still being aware of that new quality or what wants to emerge, still being aware of that and opening your eyes, you can see the light of the candles. And as it were, still holding that connection between the inner darkness and the inner light coming out of the inner darkness and letting that move towards, as it were, the outer light, the light in the daytime with our vision. Letting the inner and the outer connect. And we'll just close by inviting us each to set our intentions for this next period of time that may come out of this uh, short meditation that we just did, or out of the morning. Just let your intentions be there for how you might use and work with the dark and the light in the next week, or ten days, or two weeks, in your own way. So we end by knowing that we do this practice, this coming together, not just for ourselves, but for others as well. And we offer the fruits of the morning outward, beyond these walls, beyond this land, to all beings for their benefit, for their ability to be and learn from the dark and to move into the light <laughs> so thank you have a good solstice